Welcome to The Sober Unicorn. We are a gay-hosted, all-inclusive podcast about sobriety and addiction recovery for the LGBT plus community and all of our allies. I'm your host, Holden, and thank you for joining us today. Hey, hey, everybody, it's Holden back here again with The Sober Unicorn. I hope everybody's doing incredible, and if you're not, I do hope that your day gets better. Today, we have somebody that I just recently met. Uh, we've only known each other for, I would say, about a little bit over a month. Um, we were housemates, but he has moved on to bigger and better things. Um, so everybody say hello to Brett. How are you, Brett? I'm good. Thank you for having me, Holden. Of course, of course. Well, I'm glad I have you on. Um, so why don't you tell kind of everybody um, who you are um, and kind of just a, a backstory on your, um, your addiction? Well, again, my name is Brett. I'm an addict. Um, you know, my backstory is I grew up in Connecticut, and I was, you know, I grew up in a very nice home. Nothing was really an issue, but uh, I grew up with some parents. You know, I had some issues with my parents, and, you know, over time from when I was a kid to, like, all the way to now and still currently uh, I still deal with not being like good enough for them so that is a huge backbone of my you know addiction and it didn't it came out when I was younger in in video games where I wouldn't do the right thing and I would just play video games you know and now growing up you know, I was introduced to pot first, and I took that to the next level uh, right away. And then I started, I got drunk for the first time with my sister's prom. I was probably about 14, and it was the best thing that's ever happened to me. And, um, yeah, ever since then, I wanted it again and again and again. And, uh, and I did. So... And then further on, you know, drinking, you know, I was a high school athlete, uh, you know, things, I wasn't that good at school, but like, things were, you wouldn't tell I was addicted to anything, because I don't think I really was yet at this time. Um, And then I got to college, and things got a little worse, where I stopped going to class, and I was smoking pot and drinking every day. Um, and not just normal type of drinking, like bottle drinking, in bed drinking. Um, and yeah, and it came to a point in college where I wasn't even wanting to hang out with my friends and drink. I just wanted to sit in my room and drink, which is just not right. And at the time, I was, I was too young to know, to realize that it wasn't, that big of a problem because I thought everyone was doing this and uh, yeah and then after college you know I got introduced to cocaine and uh, man I <laughs> it's funny because my dad like two weeks before I actually tried it for the first time my dad actually told me that uh, you have to watch out for this drug it's the one it's very addictive and then so I did it for the first time you know and I was like oh this isn't addictive at all nothing's gonna happen to me and then two years down the road I'm doing this every day and drinking every day and doing nothing Um, 
a turning point in my addiction and alcoholism was when I during COVID I got fired from a job which required me to get up from my to get out of to get out of bed and to get to get to work and sit down on a laptop that's four feet away from my bed. I got fired for not showing up to a job that was in the same room that I slept in. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of funny if you think about it. And after that, you know, in my head, I still kind of played it off like, oh, this is what I wanted. I didn't like this job. But in reality, it crushed me on the inside. And I just didn't let anyone, I just didn't let anyone see it. Well, I thought I didn't let anyone see it, but uh, people did. And um, from then on, you know, same old, same old. Just didn't want to hang out with friends. Just I wanted to sit in my, my lonesome, drink and do drugs. And that was my life. And there was a time that I did try to take my life. And I'll explain this story a little bit. So... I was, I was just in a depressive state, and I just took a bottle of, took a bottle of rum, I, a little bit of blow, and I took a drive on the highway in the rain, pretty much at like 3 a.m. as fast as I could, just up and down the same highway, just waiting for something bad to happen, and, um, and then I got pulled over, going like 105 with a BAC of like 2.4 or 0.24 man and it's like I think back on that now and it's like it was almost like because now we talk about now that you know God or higher power is part of my life that's what I talk about and at that time I didn't know it but I believe that was my higher power helping me out there Mm because it wasn't my time and uh So is that like the turning point of like wanting to go into recovery? It was not, unfortunately. It was not. But it did open my eyes to man, I I have a problem. The 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 seed was was planted, you know? Because I did have to go through therapy in groups of some sort. Um where we talked about if we are alcoholics or not, and then I pretty much checked all those boxes. Um, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, but that was, and then it took two years to get to the treatment. That's a long time, especially yeah. from going from an attempted, almost an attempted suicide to a treatment. I mean, what, would anybody, if you hear any doors closing or anything in the background, I do apologize. Um, we are currently in a house full of people, so... And I cannot control everybody else and the noises that they make. So if you hear anybody in the background, I do apologize about that. So, of course, in that two years, did you continue to isolate and continue to to essentially push everybody else out of your life to continue drinking? Absolutely. Yes, it only got worse, actually. It was better for a little when I went to those groups and classes and whatnot. But then I just went back to the same old thing because nothing changed. I was still around the same people. I was still in the same place, and I was still doing the same things. So when did you finally be like, okay, I need help? Well, uh, for me, a 
a power greater than myself brought me down to Florida for treatment. When that and that looked like a like a family, uh, what do you call it? A intervention. Intervention. Jesus. Yeah. Um, where I was tricked into coming to a house or my old house that I grew up in, and uh, there was a, quite a few people there who were like, "Hey, we think you need help," and. Uh, I fought it. I fought it for like an hour and a half until I just gave in, and I was like, "Fine, uh, let's call a treatment center." We looked up on Google in Florida because we Florida's treatment capital of like the U.S. And uh, first one on Google was the one I went to. Two days later, on the third of July, I flew down to Florida and uh, started my journey on the fourth. So the thing is, of course, this was as you said, a forced intervention um, to get you into treatment, which of course has, it seems like it's been working. You're still sober. When did you finally start doing it for yourself rather than for your family? Well, when I first started doing it for myself was about a week into treatment. Um, someone just... You know, I, well, let me backtrack a little. I first thought that going to treatment, I was going to be back in 30 days. So I was all reserved that I was going to go back and still do the same things I was doing. And then a, and then a weekend, someone, some H&I rep said something, I forget what they said, but they said something to me and it clicked. And then in all the groups and all the therapy, I started becoming brutally honest. And, you know, I started make, started not saying what I should do and started listening to what other people tell me to do. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it slowly just turned over to me just kind of doing the right thing, the best for Of course, myself. and if anybody doesn't know what H&I means, it's hospitals and institutions for um, a lot of 12-step rooms will get or like uh, groups together and take meetings, whether it's AA, NA, CMA, like, oh, pretty much everybody. Yeah. Any 12-step, um, they'll take meetings to those places. Um, same thing with jails and stuff like that, where they can't get a meeting, they'll take them to the jails, uh, jails. So those people still suffering from addiction, either in jail or wanting to work a program, can. Um, so were you in treatment for the entire 30 days, or did you end up leaving early? No, I was in treatment for residential for 30 days, and then I did a... Uh, PHP program for another 30 days and then an intensive outpatient program for 30 days. Okay, what all is the PHP for anybody that doesn't know? Uh, PHP, it's like a, I don't know what it stands for, but it is when you are, so you, the first one residential is when you're living in, you're living and you don't have your cell phone, you don't have anything. The second level is when I I moved into like a house and then I was going to these groups from like 9 a.m. to like 3 p.m. all day, every day. And then uh, intensive outpatient program, IOP, was, um, you know, three days a week uh, from like 4 to 6.30. And then that's when you started, that's when they started like filtering you back out into the world, trying to get you back on your feet, get a job, you know, um, you know, plan for the rest of your life being sober. So it's kind of teach you in a way like how to navigate day-to-day -day life because of course when you're in treatment center you're like in fucking you're in a fucking treatment center yeah. or rehab so I mean, yeah. you don't have the outside um, forces kind of weighing on you at a constant I mean hell 
turn on the fucking news. I mean, there's enough reason to use right there. Yeah. Um, so, of course, you, you migrated out of IOP, um, and, you of course, you continued doing the steps. So, as you said, you thought after 30 days that you were going to go back. You were going to go back to doing what you were doing. So, kind of the topic of this episode is, when do we realize that this is a lifelong journey rather than um, something short-term? Because I know me, for myself, uh, my drinking had gotten so out of control and so unmanageable that I was like, let me go, get help, stop drinking for a year. So I, I planned on six months to a year, and then I was like, I'll get my tolerance down, I'll, get, I'll be okay, and then I'll go back to drinking like a normal person. Um, which I, when I relapsed, if, if anybody has heard that episode, um, I, I didn't relapse on liquor, um, but any substance that I use, I'm going to use it to the max. So for you, when, when was the turning point of realizing that this is a lifelong journey rather than a short term? I realized that, um, you know, when I had my spiritual awakening, you know, it wasn't, the spiritual awakening was when I just started, when that H&I rep said what he said. And, you know, I realized that I need, I need to do this, like, forever. Um, things just started getting so much better. Like, my, not material, nothing like that. Like, my headspace my serenity like my peace of mind all of that was I've never had the feeling I've had being intoxicated or messed up that I have now like a peace of mind and just serenity um it's it's uncanny um that's when I realized, when, when I became honest, and that was my spiritual awakening, pretty much, to know that I have to do this for myself. And, uh, you know, I feel like I always knew it in the, in the past that I needed help and that, that I wanted this, but I just didn't really know how. And that's what it took, that outside, uh, that outside force, which was that intervention with my parents. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's insane. I know... Of course, I've seen the show Intervention, and most of the time, at the very end of the the, the show, it, it talks about how people so quickly go back out, and I think it's because if you're doing a recovery journey for somebody else, it's never going to work. You have to be honest with yourself, and the thing is, if you're not ready to be honest with everybody else or share in the rooms and share the heartbreak and the trauma and all this bullshit, you don't have to. Like, just be honest with yourself about how bad your addiction is, how unmanageable your life is, and just fucking sit your fat ass down and listen, and you'll be okay. Yeah, and I, I do have a sponsor, and my sponsor always says, and I say this all the time in the meetings I go to, that, uh, you know, things got better when I stopped playing God, you know? Oh, there's a quote. I stopped, that... when, I, when I let... When I let go of control and let people, God, sure, but like, you know, people who came before me tell me what to do, 
that you know it's that's the key because they it works for millions of people around the world to be clean and sober what do i know better than them not a damn thing nothing absolutely <laughs> nothing you know There's, but i thought i did there was a quote um talks about fear and i always say this quote it's like if you um have fear if you're living in fear fear's in the future fear's not the present so if you're living in fear, you're predicting the future. If you're predicting the future, you're playing God and not relying on God. That's good. That's good. And I've, I've, that quote lives with me a lot just because I think we all have genuine fears of, especially in treatment, trying to get out of treatment. Okay, you have fear of the future of, am I going to be able to stay sober? Am I going to be able to do this? Will I be able to migrate back in life? Can I go to a bar and not drink? Um but again, it, it all comes down to being honest with yourself. What kind of program are you working? What kind of relationship you have with your higher power of your understanding? And um, making sure you put your plate, you put yourself in a place of safety and that you have a backup plan. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I just want to add about fear, actually. Fear is one of the number one causes of going back out. Because, you know, if you could be uh, afraid, fearful of speaking up at a meeting, which could save your life. You could be fearful of going to pick up a white chip, which could save your life. You could be fearful. You know, fear is one of those that is, it's one of the hardest things to get over. Because, you know, because this is so new to, to everyone and to myself it was so new that in the beginning I would sweat when I wanted to speak in a meeting. I would, you know, I was scared to, but I knew I had to. And sometimes for some people that doesn't, they, they can't get themselves to. And then, and then, and this has happened to me a lot, but like where I'll go home and I'll just be upset because I had something on my mind. I just was too scared or nervous to say it. And then that, in some instances can make people relapse or and uh yeah i've seen it happen actually yeah i mean lecrae last i mean i don't ever fear sharing um for myself i like to hear myself speak i mean aka one of the reasons i have a podcast um but when I share, I, I tend to, like, kind of black out on what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And then when I'm done, I'll text somebody that I know in the room and be like, did what I say make any sense at all? Yeah. Like, did I get across a solution? Um, the thing is, is the program that I work, it, it gives a moment for you to share a burning desire when you can, if you're going through something that makes you want to use... Um, to get it out in the open, and that's when you can cry, bitch, moan, complain, um, and everything, and nobody's going to judge you. Um, but when I try to share otherwise, I try to make it like more positive, more solution-based, and that's, um, that's one thing for me when I go into any new meeting or in a room. I want to make sure I'm surrounded by people that I want, for one, want to be like, that they have something that I don't have, um, and walk into a room with people with smiling faces. The thing is, yes, recovery is not all unicorns and rainbows. Um, but recovery should be joyful and happy. Because, I mean, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, like, recovery gives us our lives back. It's a second chance. Yeah, yeah, second, second chance, chance for sure. Um, 
Oh, goodness gracious. So do you think, um, I, I've known somebody in recovery, talking about lifelong, uh, one of my old teachers was a recovering addict. She was clean at that time for like 35 years. Her plan was when she retired to do every illicit drug possible until she died. Um, <clears throat> is that your plan? <laughs> I, the funny thing is I've thought about that. I've literally talked about that with a friend as a joke. Pre, uh, pre-sobriety, um, pre-being clean. Um, no, that's not my plan. No, that's not my plan. My plan is to just, you know, let, let life take me the way it wants to. But to bring this back a little bit to the life, the realization of life, uh, that this is for life, um, everything we're talking about right now, you know, I fucking like it. I uh, I eat, sleep, and shit uh, recovery. I really do. I really, really do, and I like it. And it's something that when I started to like it, you know, I started to, like, feel good about it. That's something, as an addict, that's a trait of mine that I'm going to want more. So I've been just diving headfirst into recovery, you know. Um doing everything everyone told me to do and, and a little bit more just because it feels damn good you know it does and I don't want to go back out there where I was miserable by myself I mean isolation will fucking kill you yeah. I mean during my, my last final re- well hopefully my hopefully my last relapse God willing um, I isolated the fuck out of myself to the point where I was literally smoking dope in my bedroom Lights turned off, um, no TV on, no nothing. So I could hear my if my roommates were climbing up the stairs. So I could hide the pipe and hide this and hide that for breezing. And it's like, for one, I wanted to get high to escape. But yet, how can I escape when I'm like not even able to enjoy my high because I'm trying to listen for for people in the house? Yeah. Um, and the thing is, if you think doing this recovery thing long term, like. Um, sucks or you think that like you can't do it like the first go around that I had was nine and a half months which is a long time I mean most people can't get 24 hours let alone even have the opportunity to get 24 hours Um, take it day by day the thing is I I, I hate the term one day at a time Um, I normally just try to say just for today Um, and if you if have to take it hour by hour that is totally okay i mean i have some rough days where i'm having to literally take it minute by minute because my fucking mental spiral is so crazy and before you know it like ask anybody with 5 10 20 years sobriety how did they get there they're gonna tell you straight up either i don't fucking know or d- daily one day at a time one day at a time exactly um because me, I can't. I don't want to think about it forty years from now. Because for one, that's too fucking far away. Um, I want to enjoy today. Um, and one thing that I, I do want to bring up that has been apparently brought to my attention, and I would actually like to. We haven't discussed this, so it'll be off the off fly, um, on the fly. But I had somebody recently make fun of me because I surround myself with people of nothing but recovery. Um, yeah. They're like, well, why do you hang out with nothing but people in recovery? It's like, they're in active addiction. 
I'm like, well, bitch, why do you surround yourself with nothing but addicts? Yeah. Because they have what you they have what you want, which is drugs. Yes, yes, and you have, and you're hanging out with people with something that you want, mm-hmm. which is recovery. You know, I I don't know, I don't like that actually. What you just said, you know, I don't like how they made fun of you for that. That just they say they say when when. I don't know, some friend, I've heard stories of people say that, like, people call them quitters for quitting their drugs, and their alcohol. Man, I think it's just you doing better. They might, hell, you don't know what's underneath that. They might be jealous. They might want what you have, you know, yeah. and are just lashing out. Because anger, anger is usually a way of showing fear, just uh-huh. in a bad way. So... I mean, hell, the first few days I was here in Florida, I went out to Wilton Manors, yeah. uh, which is, if anybody doesn't know, in Fort Lauderdale, that's like the gay strip. Um, I was hanging out with a few people. Um, I just met them, of course. And I wasn't drinking. Um, and they're like, oh, well, let me buy you a drink. I'm like, no, thank you. I didn't say I was in recovery. I was like, oh, I don't drink. Well, why not? Because I just don't. <laughs> they were like, well, that just must suck. I'm like... I am more than capable of enjoying my life without alcohol-fueled rage and destruction. Yeah. Because it's all that's going to come from me drinking is destruction, me driving, like, completely blacked out, putting myself in danger as well as, as, well as other people. And like you said, it's, it's can stem from jealousy. It's the fact of... And it kind of... I feel sometimes somebody that may be in active addiction meeting somebody in recovery makes them take a look at themselves it's like you're that mirror that is making them it's they know they have a problem looking at somebody that used to have a problem and that is recovering from it and um it it just it makes them envious um and like as you said jealous and people don't like jealousy or they don't like um they don't like when you are getting what they want to get yeah they don't they don't like seeing people better than them a lot of people yeah. don't like that too, especially uh, you know ego is a big part of people's addiction. It's part of mine, um, you know. Always trying to be like the life of the party and stuff. So I didn't like seeing people better than me, you know. I didn't, but then you know, working the steps, which I do, um, I'm trying to deflate that ego. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, that is one thing that will deflate very fucking fast is your ego and yeah. your pride. I mean, we are prideful people because we are proud of what we do in recovery, but pride where it's egotistical and where it's um, demeaning to other people is yeah. what gets deflated quickly. Yeah. Most of my, actually, close to all of mine uh, deflated. My ego was gone pretty much when I first said that my name is Brett and I am an alcoholic and an addict. Admitting that, that accepting that humility took, because then I was just one of everyone else. You know, we're all the same. We all, we all have a common goal. Um, no matter how much clean time you have, we're all still trying to get through the day, get our, get our heads to the pillow without taking a drink or have, taking a drug. How long did it take you in the rooms before you could say that you were an alcoholic addict? Yeah, well, in treatment, um, it took me a week. It okay. took me one week to... Because, again, I'll go back. I, when I went to treatment, I thought I was going to... I went there to learn how to drink properly. 
and drug properly. Yeah. That's what I thought. <laughs> Go to rehab to drink properly. No. That's, but, uh, yeah, it took a week for me to say uh, I was an alcoholic or an addict. I am both. Um, I am bisexual, as you say. <laughs> Uh, I, I've never heard is, that. Any meeting, you, any meeting that's happening and has twelve steps with a common goal, um, I can relate to. So that is true. I mean, I think it took me two weeks. It was because um, I didn't think because when I go into the rooms, I, I feel the differences about people having to go to treatment and rehabs, and I never had to do that. My family never sat me down because, of course, I lived away from my family and my addiction, so they didn't realize how bad it was getting. No. And um, it was, I went to a sober Halloween party. And when I was sitting there, like, trembling because I wanted to go next door to pick up beer to drink in my car to walk back into a sober Halloween party, mm. is when I was like, holy shit, I think you might be an alcoholic. Yeah. And I immediately left the Halloween party, drove to a meeting, and was like, okay, I'm an alcoholic, and, like, broke down because it's, it's, it's humbling. It's... It, it pulls out your ego and it pulls your head out of your ass and it makes you realize um, it makes you admit to yourself the struggle that you have but kind of rewinding into um, people being some bitches and uh, making fun of people in recovery it's also the fact of people in recovery want to hang out with people we all okay hold on let me let me phrase this correctly when you make friendships that person is your friend because they get you, they understand you, and they kind of somewhat walk the same uh, the same wavelength, and they have the same likes that you have. Guess what? People in recovery are like that. They when I when we struggle, they get it. Mm-hmm. When we are going through something, they understand, they empathize, sympathize, and it's like they have the same commonality. So of course, like when we are in this program or in recovery, like. That's just who our friends become because they're not texting us to be like, hey, let's hit up the fucking bars and get wasted. They're texting us to be like, hey, let's go bowling. Let's go grab some food. Let's, I mean, hell, me and Brett and a couple other addicts went to Top Golf a few weeks ago. I mean, we just want to go out, have a decent time, and not have to worry about a meth pipe being dropped on the ground or carpet surfing or um, shit, we ran out of liquor and the liquor stores are closed. Um, so I mean again I, I think uh, Brad said earlier changing places peoples and things uh, yeah. is, is insanely important make sure you get yourself around people that have the same struggle and fully understand um, like I said I mean I, even though the topic of the episode is um, like being a lifelong thing don't think of it as a lifelong thing just think about it as of like let me stay sober today and better myself today and tomorrow we'll worry about it tomorrow yep and absolutely so is there anything that you haven't said that you would like to say before we end the episode i think i got everything out that i want to say good well thank thank you so much brett for joining us today and i hope you have an incredible rest of your day thank you for having me of course 
Thank you again for listening to today's episode. Hit that follow button to be notified about new episodes every week. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Instagram at The Sober Unicorn Podcast or on our website at thesoberunicornpodcast.com. There you will find our episodes as well as our very own Sober Owned Shop featuring products from small businesses that are sober owned. And remember everyone, don't be normal, be a unicorn, but better yet, be a sober unicorn. Sober Unicorn.